This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. As a matter of fact, in this passage that you turn to over in Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells an intriguing story about a man whose kingdom is growing. He's a business entrepreneur. And he says to himself, man, I'm just going to keep building more and more barns and accumulating more and more stuff. And Jesus says to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? Today, 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 with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hey there, you're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron. This week, Pastor Jeff is preaching about being awake, spiritually awake, and in tune with God. We're about to start with a message from Luke chapter 12, the story of the man who stockpiled goods for himself and was challenged by Jesus as to why. Let's begin this first message in the series now. Here's Pastor Jeff. Man, we began a new series And I'm really pumped about it, it's called Awakenings. And it's based on a sociological study where 100 people over the age of 90 were interviewed. And while you're listening to this, turn over to Luke 12, that'll be our text. We won't go through it detail by detail, but we will be referring to it. Now think about that. How many of you in the room even know 100 people over the age of 90? How many of you know like 10 people over the age of 90? How many of you are over the age of 90? We got a few. No, no, come on. All right, we got a few. Great. They asked them one question. Fascinating. And the question was this. If you had it to do over again, what would you do differently? Now think about it. 90 plus years old. If you had it to do all over again, what would you do differently? Three answers emerged. There was a commonality. They said, if we had it to do all over again, we would reflect more we would risk more, and we'd do more things that would be remembered when we're gone. Now you think about that. We would reflect more, think about things. We would risk more. Success or failure is not the key, just the journey of risk. That's what keeps us alive. And we would do more things that would be remembered, that would last when we're gone. And I read that and I thought, my goodness, what a great idea for a series. Because that's the 40,000 foot level of our faith, isn't it? We've been digging down in the weeds and the trees. But for the next few weeks, I want us to stand outside. You know this expression, you can't see the what? For the trees, the forest. I want us to go back up on top to make sure we haven't become enamored with details. We've forgotten the big picture. Because I read the article and I thought, my goodness, this is a PowerPoint. These are the big ideas of Jesus' ministry. Think about it for a moment. Number one we would reflect more. How many times in the Bible does Jesus say, wake up, O sleeper? How many times in the Old Testament, wake up, you're missing a good life? As a matter of fact, in this passage that you turn to over in Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells an intriguing story about a man whose whose kingdom is growing. He's a business entrepreneur. He's gaining more and more stuff, more and more wealth, intelligent, sharp, great business acumen. 
And his wealth is so much to such a high degree that he's building bigger and bigger barns, bigger and bigger, bigger, and bigger warehouses. And he says to himself, man, I'm just going to keep building more and more barns and accumulating more and more stuff. And Jesus says to him, basically, why are you stockpiling and hoarding? Why are you doing this? Reflect, stop, think about it. You're doing all this work, work, work all your life. And then just like that, as quick as I snap my fingers, it's all gone. And he says, this night, you fool, this very night, you will be demanded or your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? All through the Bible, Jesus, stop and think about what you're doing for a moment. Now, I told you the story, and I gotta, I gotta remind you of the times that I would play Monopoly with my grandmother, remember? My grandmother was a great Monopoly player, and she just thrashed all of her grandsons, and she loved doing it. She would smile. It was like this hideous laugh, evil, sinister. Well, some of us knew how to play, and I went away to college, and I learned, I played Monopoly for four years. I didn't learn much in college, but I played Monopoly for four years. I became king of the board, and I couldn't wait to get back to my grandma's house. I was gonna teach her a lesson. But she ended up teaching me one because we played. Man, by the end of the game, I owned it all. The railroads, I owned them. Waterworks, mine. I had greenhouses, red houses, park place, boardwalk. I owned the board and I gave no mercy. She wanted a loan from the bank. I owned the bank too. And I gathered all this and I looked at this masterpiece and I started dancing around the room. I beat grandma, I beat grandma. She was so mad at me. And then she got me, man. She took the Monopoly board, she dumped it and she looked at me and said, Jeff, doesn't matter because it all goes back into the box. <laughs> man, I was so mad. I didn't want it to go back in the box. I wanted to bronze it, put in a plaque in her front door. This is where grandma went down. But isn't that interesting? It does. What a great life lesson. Pastor Leroy Brown, my friend that told the story about Capitilla, don't worry, I'm not gonna tell that story again. But he used to say something. He'd look out all the audience on a Sunday night to all these college students and he would say, one of these days, you're gonna die. And I wish I could say it like him. You don't believe that you are, but you are. And then they're gonna throw you on a hole in the ground and they're gonna throw dirt in your face and they're all gonna go back to the church and eat potato salad. And he said, when you were born, you cried and everybody else laughed. When you die, everybody's going to be crying. And the real question is, are you going to be happy? And that depends on the way and for what you've lived your life. And then he went into the African-American tradition of repetition. Wake up, oh sleeper. Wake up, oh sleeper. Wake up. And it means you want to wake up. These old people are simply saying what Jesus said. Wake up, man. Redeem the time. Use it wisely. Reflect on what really matters. Paul told the Colossians in Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on the higher things. And the thing about those higher things, it's ultimately what you're looking for anyway, and usually they're right under your eyes. My friend Dane Johnson told me about a story that Kyle Adelman, Southeast, one of the preachers there in Louisville, huge church, said that it's amazing how people don't realize what's in front of them. They don't reflect. They never live in the moment. They're never present. And he said, he's a big Joe, Joe Montana fan. So he got to go to Kansas City. It was Joe Montana's final season. The game, they had great seats. He said, I was seated beside this lady who was sleeping through the game. I mean, great seats, expensive seats. She's just sleeping. Joe Montana, the end of the game, it's tied. He starts one of those final drives. 
And you're going to score a 20-yard pass, 30, 40. Next thing you know, touchdown, place goes wild. This woman is sleeping. And Kyle Ottoman says, finally, I looked at her and I said, Mom, wake up. (laughs) That things are happening, but you're missing it. We live our lives waiting for what might be around the next corner, never enjoying the present, placing a halo around the unrealized. You don't enjoy the present because you're always waiting for the next thing to happen, so you're never fully present. I mean, even when you're present, you're absent. Man, it's starting to hit me. I looked in the mirror this past week and I saw my dad. Has that happened to you yet? I looked over in the corner of the kitchen, there was my son. I looked over and for some reason, God took my mind back to when little Delaney used to ride my little golf cart in New Zealand, and not the electrical ones, the ones you pull, and he would climb up there and hold onto the bag, and I would pull him around the golf course, and I thought, where'd that little boy go? Man, it happened so fast, like it was yesterday. And I thought to myself, am I missing it? Because I'm not reflecting, I keep waiting for what might be, but what might be is happening now. Listen, life is what happens while you're waiting on life to happen. And that's what these old people say. Redeem the time, Jesus says. Don't let it pass by. Fully be present in the moment. Stop, reflect, wake up, set your mind on the things that will last. And while we're talking about this, reflecting more, before we leave this wagon, let's make sure we participate in the ultimate reflection. Look at that right there. What is that? That's a cross. The most recognized symbol in human history. The problem is familiarity breeds what? Contempt. I'm begging you for the next three minutes, just three minutes, to think about that in light of your life. Can I ask you? I'm a sinner. Are you? I deserve to be punished. Do you? There's some of you out there saying, well, I'm not really that bad now. I don't really deserve punishment. I'm not really a sinner. I mean, I'm not Hitler. That's the problem. You're still thinking about this all the wrong way. Hitler's not the standard. God is. You think you're going to get in line on Judgment Day behind Hitler, Lenin, and Stalin. You're going to look really good. But I'm telling you, you're going to get in line behind Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. You're going to look really bad. And God doesn't grade on a curve. He's the standard. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. I deserve punishment. So do you. Jesus took my punishment. That's why I love the cross. That's why we come and lift our hands in worship, although I will admit, I look out here sometimes and some of you look like zombies. I'm not sure that you're in the moment. I think you're worried about what's happening later. And you're never in the present. Jesus says, stop, reflect, man. You know what all this, you know what that thing right there means? Do you realize that one day they're gonna open the book on Jeff Vine's life? And they're gonna open it up and read under my name and all the, Rotten, dirty stuff that I've done is going to be blotted out. It's going to be erased. It used to be they're gone. Erased. Just like that. Buried in the deepest sea. Remembered no more. Because Jesus says because of that, right there, I'm justified. That he sees me just as if I'd never sinned. And he says he's going to give me a robe of righteousness. And I'm going to be able to put that thing on. And God's going to say, Jeff, you look marvelous. You look great. And I'm going to say, are you looking at somebody else? What about the time I mistreated my wife or my children or the time I took what didn't belong to me or or the time I saw what I should not have seen, looked at things I should have shunned, participated in activities that I should have run away from? What about all that, God? And God says, no, I don't see that. No, no, that's not what I see. All I see is the cross. I see my son 
paying the penalty for your sin. I see you with a robe of purity and righteousness because of that. Do you understand that? Have you reflected on that in your life? It stands out through time and eternity and forever will be. Have you reflected? Because here's the beauty of it. It's not just what Jesus does for me on the day of judgment by standing in my place. It's what he does for me now. Because if I come and I humbly put myself right there, the Bible says that Jesus comes on the inside. Remember, Paul said in Galatians 2, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. So I start to see everything through his eyes. He invades my life and creates an awakeness. My eyes are open. And I see my wife the way God sees her as a gift from God to be treasured and valued, to spend time with, because she's what really matters. And I want to tell you guys, if your wife was convinced that she's what really matters, I think your marriage would be different. My children, I treat them differently because all of a sudden, it's not all about making money, it's about quality time with them. Now I have to do both, it's life. But when Jesus really comes in, and that's why I know when a young person tells me that Jesus came in on the side, I know, I know whether or not they're telling the truth by the way they treat their parents. Because if he's on the inside, you see your parents as God's authority in your life to guide and lead and direct you. And that's why when you go away to Christian camp and you sing a thousand verses of Kumbaya, and somebody comes down and tells you that you're never going to be in this place again, and you come down off the mountaintop and you think, I'm changed now, I'll know whether or not you really are. But if your eyes have been open, reflect more. Reflect on the cross. You know the great verse, let's say it together, almost done. Here we go, John 3, 16. Say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes on him will have what kind of life? When does eternal life start? Thank you. Finally, one out of four audiences. It started already. Now. It's a quality of life that begins now. You don't wait till heaven because your eyes are open now and you see everything from the perspective and the point of reference of the cross. And now you know what matters. And these old people said, man, it's the gospel. Stop, reflect, what really matters in your life? And is that what you're doing? You know, the second thing they said, and I loved it. Oh, I, they said, can you imagine 90 years old? You know what we'd do? We'd risk more. I, love, I just love that. We would risk more. We would not live a safe, mundane, mediocre, average life because it's not about whether you win or lose. It's about whether you took the risk. Now, do you know what cork ball is? Does anybody know what cork ball is? Do you know? One, two. Thank you. Thank you. Because nobody knows. Cork ball. I grew up in a small town in East Tennessee, and we're not wealthy there. We didn't have a lot of stuff. And you just couldn't go to athletic equipment shed at junior high school and take the balls and bats to play with during recess. We didn't have the money for that. But I, was, I love baseball, man. Actually, it's, actually, I love baseball more than I love golf or basketball. I just wasn't good at baseball. I was okay. And recess every day at T.A. Duggar Junior High School. I mean, if you were in the in crowd and you were somebody, you were going to play corkball. Corkball is like baseball. You take the bat, the batter stands up, he's ready, and you throw this cork. You got to hit this cork traveling at a pretty good speed. And if you hit the cork past the pitcher, it's a single. But if you hit it past the boundaries, which were our shoes, those of us who had them, it was a home run. Now, you can get pretty good at throwing this thing if you know how to use it. I was actually one of the ones that was good, so I could, I could really hum this thing. 
all the way back to the back. Now, here's the deal. The problem is we didn't have corks, so we had to steal them, and we did. I told you I was a sinner. I just said it. You didn't believe me. We didn't have broomsticks. We had to steal those too, so we did. Now, you couldn't get them from mom because she needed them at home, and you get big trouble. So we had to go to the janitorial closet at the school, and anytime we saw it open, grab a broomstick. But we'd get caught after a few days, and we found ourselves my last year at T.A. Duggar Junior High School as an eighth grader without cork and without bat. Mr. Pless, the principal, who, by the way, was not very nice. You don't know that when you're a kid, but now I look back, and he wasn't nice. If I see him again, I'm going to tell him, you're not nice. He took all of our bats. Well, they were really his, but he took them. And he took all 10 of these broom handles that we had gotten from the janitorial closet and put them in his office. And he took all the corks that we had. So we had no cork, we had no bat. And I remember distinctively, we were on the playing field. It was recess. We had nothing to do. And I said to the guys, I was the leader then, I said, guys, this is bad. Cork ball's finished. There's no use coming to school anymore can't play cork ball. We didn't have Nintendo, PlayStation, all that. That was it. And one of my friends looked at me. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? What are you going to do? And I said to them, somebody ought to go into that principal Pless's office and take back our cork bats and balls. And you don't do that in East Tennessee because you know what's coming next. It's like a Pavlonian dog, man. You're just wired like this. I dare you. And then just like Dane Johnson said, always this big kid who says, I double dog dare you. So I had to come up with a plan, and I did. I said to my best friend, Mark, you're going to have to hit me in the nose. Excuse me? The only way I'm going to get in the principal's office, because, man, it's impenetrable, a vicious receptionist. You're going to have to hit me in the nose, and I'm going to have to bleed. And the blood's going to have to pour down my face and on my shirt. Because if I'm bleeding, I can go right past the reception, she'll let me into the principal's office. Now, I was a little bothered later that it didn't take my friend a lot of convincing to hit me in the nose. Because about the second time out of my mouth, he just popped me. Blood running down my shirt. I went right to the principal's office. Receptionist didn't even stop me. Oh, Jeff, what happened? Walked right into the principal's office. And then that's where things started to turn for the good. Immediately, he left the office and went to get the first aid kit. I saw that as a sign from God. I went over to the closet. There they were, all 10, corks and bats. I got them. I walked over to the second story window where his office resides. My friends were waiting below. I dumped everything. They picked up the bats. They picked up the corks. They ran away. The name Jeff Vines is legend at T.A. Duggar Junior High School. And every year there's a moment of silence to remember. Well, that's not true, but the other is. And let me tell you, you can go over to Disneyland and ride Soaring California, my favorite ride, all you want. You can go up to Big Bear and ski those slopes and feel the cold wind breeze in your face. You can go over to Palm Springs and play some of the greatest golf courses in our land. But let me tell you something. There is nothing like the thrill and the satisfaction of robbing the principal's office at T.A. Duggar Junior High School. Nothing like it. And you know why? It's one of those moments in my life when I felt most alive. You know why? Risk. My heart was pumping, man. I could get caught. Man, my, my breath was short and deep. <laughs> Scared.
scared to death. But man, did I feel alive. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I want you to hear me. Guys, those of you, man, God is moving in your life and he's trying to get you out of that rut and mediocrity. But you have to understand there is no fullness of life without risk. None. Because the abundant life is to go where most people are afraid to go. But it's the one Jesus calls you to. They said we would have risked what was down deep inside. We would have followed. By the way, that right, that right there leads me to the real problem in America today. The real problem is that they have taken the original Star Trek off the air. That's the problem. I can't find it anywhere on the cable now. Somebody help me. The original, the good one. Because Leonard Nimoy, is they come out in this horrible fake starship into the darkness. And he would say, challenged. Now say it with me. To go where no man has gone before. My concern is that I'm in a generation with a bunch of young people who are going to go where every generation has gone before. They're going to think the same way every other generation has thought. They're going to do what everybody else has done. They're going to be where everybody else has been. So you're going to have your little home with 2.2 children and your little three-car garage and your little BMW and jacuzzi. And all the while inside you, the Spirit of God is saying, why don't you chuck it all? Why don't you risk it all? Why don't you bet your life on me? Why don't you give your life to me? Hey, what's the definition of insanity? You know it, right? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. You're miserable and you're going to keep doing the same things and you think it's going to change. Risk. I don't think you realize what a hick country boy I am. Okay, maybe you do recognize what it is. Okay, I'm good with that. In 1985, when I got the chance to go to Africa, I was terrified. You got to think, I'd never been out of the state of Tennessee. My relatives ran moonshine across the county line. I'm dead serious. I've seen the still. To leave Tennessee, and then I think, man, I was at a fork in the road right then, and I've had a few since then. What if I said no? I would have never seen Victoria Falls. I would have never been able to feel the wind and the mist and take a deep breath and feel like I was alive. Man, and that moment has jumped out of eternity and it's indelibly impressed. I'll never forget, I relive it because I was alive. And I'd never have known what it was like to have a lion sleep at your door. And I know what it's like to have a lion sleep at my door. And I'm not talking about no zoo either. How many of you young people are going to live Lives of quiet desperation because you won't risk. And just because, listen, just because you didn't risk the first 25 years of your life doesn't mean you can't start now. And did you think that maybe you guys that are in those jobs that you hate, that detest, that are just ripping you to shreds, you got no joy in your life? You say, Jeff, uh, uh, it's easy for you to say that you're sanguine. Well, yeah, that may be true. But just because it's easy for me to say it doesn't mean it's not true. Because some of you, man, you've had this internal urge in you for a long time, a gut in you that says, move, go on, risk, do what you always wanted to do since you were a kid. But you won't do it. You're afraid.
You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. You forgot who you are, and you've forgotten whose you are, who you belong to. That's why you won't risk. And every life experience that you've gone through, God wills it to be so, because it's all training ground for the day you will have something in your gut that says, man, I need to do this. If you say no, you'll never know what it is to fulfill your purpose. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.